Good morning, church. Happy Sunday. We are in John chapter 12. Um, it's kind of a long chapter. We're going to cover a little bit more than we did last week, but we still won't finish it this time around. I'm going to start in verse 27 and read through verse 41. Uh, and I'd suggest that you follow along in your own Bibles as I read so you can read it in your own uh, copy of the Bible um, and see where this passage is. Verse 27. Jesus is speaking here. He says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn, so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said, when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we want to see your glory. We want to speak of you. Uh, God, we know that we have hardened hearts. We need a heart transplant. We come to you expecting for you to exchange the heart of stone in us for the heart of flesh. Um, and we come humbly uh, aware, God, that that uh, you make the blind see and you make the, uh, the deaf hear, but you also uh, confirm those in rebellion against you in their ways. You have hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Um, You've blinded these ones from seeing, even though they saw so much of what you did. And God, we have beheld your glory. Uh, we, we have seen so much of your faithfulness. And we pray that that, um, that, that would lead us to greater faith. Uh, and that the, the results would be different from those we read in this passage and in, in, in our own hearts. God, that we would see you and that we would worship. Um, that as you glorify your name, um, we would be worshiping in your presence. We would stand in awe of that glory. So we ask for understanding of this passage. We, we ask especially for just a humility of spirit, a receptiveness in, in the difficult parts. Um, I, ask you that you, I ask that you would anoint the teaching and our understanding of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this last section where John quotes from Isaiah, I'm actually going to start with that because um, it's, it's pretty interesting and it's kind of hard to deal with. Uh, for many people. What, what you see is this whole message, even starting as far back as, as verse 27 where we begin, it is a passage on blindness and deafness and seeing and hearing. And when you come to this and see, you know, verse 37, which is almost a key verse 
and describing the people that Jesus is ministering to. Although he had done so many signs before him, they did not believe him. And we've talked about that over and over again in our study in John. You'll remember, I'm sure, uh, that we've, we've said that faith it does not come by seeing great signs and wonders. Faith instead comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, the, the Jews of the Old Testament coming out of, um, out of Egypt through the Exodus and the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, you know, they saw so many signs, so many wonders, but they didn't believe. They're defined as a generation of unbelief. And that whole um, 40 years wilderness wandering, that whole scenario is being repeated in Israel in the time of Christ. Christ is the new Moses bringing people into the new promised land and people are responding much the same. They're seeing signs, they're seeing wonders, but it does not lead to faith. But this this passage complicates things in, in the minds of many because it says very clearly that the Lord blinds eyes and the Lord hardens hearts and he, he stops those from seeing and hearing and believing. And that's difficult for us to, to grapple with, but we must because it's in the Word of God. And the, the clearest uh, cross-reference to these passages in Isaiah would probably be the, the, the passage in uh, Romans referring to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart being hardened, and we see that in Romans 9. And really this whole story from Romans 9, 10, and 11 um, about God doing as he pleases and hardening some and saving some. And what we see in the life of Pharaoh and what we see in these people in John is that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Now, when you put the hardening and the blinding and the deafening in that context, what you see is not that the Lord hardens people against their will, but rather that the Lord hardens and blinds and deafens in accordance with the will, the rebellious will of men who have resisted the grace over and over and over again. And that's what we see within, in the life of Pharaoh. And of course, when John says that men loved darkness because their deeds were evil, we see that, that the moral conduct, the actions of people has a direct influence, uh, really a, a a cause even, of their unbelief and lack of faith. And this is reverse of the way we think it. This is upside down thinking. You know, we want to say you believe because you saw something, and then because you believe, you act a certain way. Um, this says that seeing things won't make you believe, and your actions, what you do out of the abundance of your heart, will actually harden you uh, in, in your resolve of what, what you're doing. Men love darkness because their deeds were evil. They wanted to do dark deeds, so then they loved darkness, and then they were unable to see in the light. Um, so this, this passage here saying that the, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah has been confirmed here, has been fulfilled, because there are those who had seen Jesus. They had certainly had opportunity to repent. But after time and time again where Christ calls men to himself saying, all you who are thirsty come unto me, and they don't. That's already happened in the Gospel of John. When, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he hasn't said that yet, that's in 14. When he, he said all his other I am statements, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, all these things, and people had come and heard that and said, I don't want you to be my shepherd, I'm not following you. I don't want to go through the door. I want to go over the wall. I don't, 
I don't want to believe that you are the resurrection and the life. And, and having responded like that, because their deeds were evil, the Lord has now hardened them and blinded them. So now as it gets closer and closer to the cross, they're unable to see what they are doing. They're unable to see who it is that they're coming against. Now, one more interesting thing about this passage at the end. In verse 41, it says, These things Isaiah saw when he saw his glory and spoke of him. Uh, it really seems like it's saying that Isaiah saw Christ. Now, this whole passage is referring to Isaiah chapter 6, the year King Uzziah died, when uh, Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple and he sees angels saying, holy, holy, holy. And it's this beautiful passage. It's one of the most clear uh, images of heaven that we get in the scriptures. And John is saying that Isaiah saw Christ here. So it's one of the claims to deity in the gospel of John. We've seen many, but this is another one. But what we see in this passage, in this whole chapter, really, uh, is yes, that the Lord can harden hearts. Um, but what we see is that walking in obedience, walking in the light, as Christ has said, is uh, what we do in order to avoid the blindness, the darkness. We go to the light. Uh, we behold the glory, as Isaiah did. We walk in the light while the light is still there. We become sons of light. Um, so Christ is talking to people who are blind and deaf and, and hardened. And we're coming to Christ knowing that we have propensities, we have a tendency towards these same sins. Um, so we come humbly, we come prayerfully, and we'll start back in verse 27 and then take this passage kind of as a whole. But I wanted to begin with that last passage so that you know without the quickening of the Spirit of God, you can be blind too. You can't think your way to heaven. Um, you can be deaf. You can have hard hearts. Um, it's standard issue. That's what we come with hardened hearts. And so come to the word, come to the word of God, come to sermons, come to scripture uh, with a humility and an eagerness and an awareness of your own faults, of your own hardness, of your own inability to hear and understand and, and say to Jesus, open my eyes, pray with Paul, enlighten the eyes of my understanding. You know, pray with the Psalms, open my eyes that I may see wonders, wondrous things from your law. Um, that's, that's the attitude that we want to have because we know that we can't take this stuff for granted. We can't take spiritual truths for granted. We have to have our eyes opened. So verse 27, let's go back to um, the beginning here. <laughs> now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Now, the context here is, is Christ is talking about his death. You remember what we studied last week? He said, unless the, the time has come for the Son of Man should be glorified, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. And he's talking about going and dying. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the crucifixion. And he says that this idea of being buried as a seed this extreme display of self-denial, of humility before his God, is troubling. And we see in Christ authentic human emotions here. He's troubled. He's, he's, um, he's worried. He's anxious. Not in a sinful way, but in a very natural human way. He is troubled and worried about what's coming. 
because he knows the crucifixion is coming. We see this uh, progress and, and grow and develop all the way towards Gethsemane. This anticipates Gethsemane where Jesus will pray, Father, if there's another way, then let this cup pass from me. And we, we see a troubled soul in Gethsemane where he is sweating great drops of blood, an actual medical condition that, that uh, in indicates extreme trauma, extreme uh, anxiety. And Jesus shows us in this passage what to do with a troubled soul. Now, I want you to realize you will not have a soul that is as troubled as Jesus' soul before his crucifixion. Because you will never go through a trouble greater than the trouble he knew that he was going to endure. Um, so, we look to Jesus as our example in every area possible, and this is one of them. How to be troubled. How to be troubled. And Jesus gives us an example here of, of how to do this. There's, there's healthy self-talk here. Um, you think of the psalm where David prays, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And that's, he's talking to himself there. He's not praying, really, but he's talking to himself and saying, why are you cast down? And he says, hope in God. He's telling himself what to do because he knows what to do. He says, hope in God. And, and, and Jesus is kind of talking to himself here. He says, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? What should I do? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? And that's a, that's a rhetorical question. He says, would, would I ask for deliverance from this, knowing that it's for this purpose, the purpose of the cross, the purpose of becoming that seed buried that it might bear fruit? For this purpose, I came to this hour? He says, could I ask for that? He says, this, the, this is the, the purpose of why I came, so how could I ask for deliverance from it? And even in the garden where he gets closer to say, asking for deliverance, but what he says is, if there was another way then I would ask for it. If there is another way, then take this cup from me, but not my will, thine be done. And in verse 28, where he says, Father, glorify your name, or glorify thy name, if you want some King James. The, the emphasis in that sentence in verse 28 is on the word your. Emphas uh, the emphasis is on thy, if you're in King James. Father, glorify your name, glorify your name as opposed to saying, I'm not, he's saying, I'm not going to just preserve my life. I'm not just going to go through this in order to save myself. I, he just talked about that. Remember, he who loves his life will lose it. Verse 25. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's saying, I'm not here to glorify my name. My father will glorify my name, but I'm here to glorify my father's name. That's how the Godhead works. That's how the love within the Trinity works, each member glorifying the other. Jesus says, glorify your name. He says, for this purpose I came to this hour. Now the purpose is the cross the, and, and the empty tomb, it's resurrection. But, but a more ultimate purpose or a more overarching purpose would be the glory of God, the catechism. What is the chief end of man? It's, it's to glorify God. And so Jesus is saying, should I say, save me from this hour, the hour that is going to bring you the most glory? No, I can't do that. I'm praying what I know to be true. Glorify your name. This is sort of an echo of the way he told the disciples to pray in the, in the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. They say, how should we pray? And he says, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
you take the glory. Let my life be glorifying to you. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is, is sort of paraphrasing, paraphrasing some of those requests. He's saying, should I say, save me? No, I'm saying thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Should I say, save me from this hour when I know that this is the hour that I've come for? This is the purpose that will bring you glory? No, I can't pray that. I can't ask that. Now, the, the second half here of uh, verse 28 says, Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So cool. Uh, this is the third time that God the Father has spoken from heaven in, in uh, Christ's ministry, in the, in the Gospels. The first time was at the baptism of Jesus. The Spirit descended as a dove, and a voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, then the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, when he goes up to pray and he brings, you know, the, the inner circle, Peter, James, John, and uh, then he's, he's transfigured before them. He becomes uh, bright and shiny and there's a cloud and, and a voice comes from the cloud and says, this is my son, hear him. And, and then now we have the third time and, it, and, and the, the voice says, I have both glorified it but the word it is in italics there, if you'll notice in, in most Bibles. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. But um, the, the literal, most accurate reading would be, I have both glorified and will glorify again. I have both glorified and will glorify again. Now, both of the, the first times, the baptism and the Mount of Transfiguration, when the Father speaks, he is, he is exalting the Son. This is my son. I am well pleased in him. This is my son. You listen to him. And, and both statements are son word. They're Christ word. Okay, and the father is glorifying the son. And we know that's what he does. Now here, the word it being in italics is added there for clarity, but I'm not sure it's actually adding a whole lot of clarity. Um, in verse 23, Jesus said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Um, the Father's name, when, when he says, Father, glorify your name in verse 28, the Father's name is glorified in Christ. That's how it works. Um, so when the Father says, I have both glorified and will glorify again, it, you can't actually say that he's saying, well, he's, he's only glorifying his name. He's glorifying Christ, and that's how his name is being glorified. That's how it works. In Colossians 1.27, you know, we read that Jesus is the hope of glory. Um, and and then uh, when, when the Father, when the voice says, I have both glorified and will glorify again, he's saying, yes, my name has been glorified, but he's done this through the glorification of Christ. And he says, I have and I will again. He has already glorified his name in the person of Jesus through the incarnation. The life of Christ brought glory to the Father. Um, his actions, his words, the way he lived brought glory to the Father. Um, you think of Exodus chapter 34. I'm actually going to turn back there. In Exodus 34, you've heard me talk about this passage a whole lot. This is when Moses... Um, wants to see the glory, right? So it's 
it's on topic here. Jesus has said that the Son of Man should be glorified. He says, Father, glorify your name. The Father says, I have glorified and will glorify again. So you think of Moses saying, show me your glory. And God says, no, no, no one can see me and live. And of course, that statement is answered in John chapter 1, where the apostle says, we have beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But what God does for Moses, he says, I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock, and then I will pass by and show you my goodness. Um, now I've got to find the, uh, find the passage here. Um, let's see, uh, chapter 34, Exodus 34, uh, verse 5 says, Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. No. Back to John, Jesus says, Father, glorify your name, all right? And the Lord now descends to Moses and says, and proclaims the name of the Lord. Verse 6, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, excuse me, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And <laughs> it's a pretty cool passage. You should read the whole thing. Uh, but in... Um, oh, page is already coming out of my Bible. Uh, so in, in John 12, Jesus prays, Father, glorify your name. And the Lord says, I have both glorified and will glorify it again. And you see that compassion, mercy, the long suffering, um, this, this embodies the name of God. And of course, Christ has displayed the character of the Father, uh, to humanity. Um, no one has seen God at any time, and we know that from Moses, but the only begotten of the Father, who is in the bosom of the Father, has proclaimed him, has declared him, has revealed him. This God has tabernacled, dwelt with us to declare the name of God. So the incarnation, in one way, has uh, has glorified the name of the Father. So when the voice says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again, I believe he's saying, I have glorified the, the name of God in the person of Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, through your words, through your deeds, through your perfect life. And I will again. Now God is glorified through the life of Christ and the death and resurrection, which is still coming later this week, Right? And the word again there it means more than just simple repetition. Um, it, the word again implies intensification, building on the first step so you can get higher to the second, third, fourth step. So when he says, I have glorified the name, I have glorified the Son, I have glorified uh, the, the graciousness, the mercy, the, the long-suffering, I've done that in, in the Incarnation in the life of Christ, but I will even more so in what's coming. I'm going to show more grace. I'm going to show more mercy. I'm going to glorify the name of God with even more intensity than anyone's ever seen it before. And Paul picks up on this theme in Corinthians saying, you know, that the glory that Moses beheld, 
is, is not even worth comparing. The glory there faded away, but you know, it's an obsolete glory. We now behold with unveiled face being transformed from glory to glory as we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, the, the, the life of Christ glorified the name of God. The death and resurrection will do so even more so. So God speaks from heaven and says, I will glorify and I will glorify again. And verse 29, we'll just keep reading the story. Verse 29 says, Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Now this is somewhat disappointing. Uh, especially for any of us, which should be, should be all of us, who are interested in evangelism and, and revival and multitudes of people coming to the Lord. You know, we think, well, if, if God would just like write in the sky, that's sort of the, uh, the stereotypical wish, you know, just, just do a big show and then everyone will get saved. And we know that's not the way it works. God speaks here from heaven. He speaks straight from heaven and says, I have glorified the name or the son, and I will glorify again. And some people say, well, that could have just been thunder. And of course, that's essentially the attitude of fallen man's heart, according to Romans chapter 1. And, you know, throughout the world, throughout time and space, we see the created universe. We see galaxies. We see, you know, the, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then we exchange the glory of the Creator for the glory of the created things. And we say, well, maybe it was all just an accident. Uh, maybe this whole thing was just, just a, a flip of the coin a billion times and we sort of won the cosmic lottery. And, and even though God speaks day after day after day, Psalm 19, day unto day utter speech, night unto night reveals knowledge, He's speaking all the time. And people say, Maybe it's thunder. That's the naturalist speaking. It's just thunder. Or you have these really spiritual people, spiritual but the wrong spirit. They say, well, maybe it's an angel that spoke to him. Maybe, maybe this was just something special and super, ooh, spiritual that Jesus had. And Jesus says, that wasn't for me. That was for you. That wasn't, that was for your sake. I can talk to my dad anytime. He said that for you and everyone. No one's willing to admit that God has spoken and you are now required to listen. They want to say, well, maybe he got the wrong number. He was talking to someone else. Or they want to say, that wasn't God. That was just nature talking to me. No, 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 no. God speaks and it's disappointing to see everyone's reaction. Of course, we know, verse 37, which we began with, it says, although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. And then, you know, the following verses explain uh, a little bit why. You know, their hearts were hardened. Their ears had been made deaf. Um, you know, we, we hopefully gain a, a respect and, a, and a, an understanding of the phrase that's repeated through Scripture. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We see these people didn't have ears to hear. And it's why Paul prays for enlightenment. You know, it's why Psalm 40, verse 6 says, My ears you have opened. Psalm 119, verse 18, we, see, we pray, Open my eyes. Because we know when God speaks, even though He is speaking every day, not everyone is able to hear. And that is simply the sad reality of it. Not everyone is able to hear. And we want to say, well, that's just, 
non-Christians, now that we're all believers, we can hear the voice of God, and of course we have the Bible, and we can read it, and we can just understand it, but you know that you've read the Bible and not understood it. So we pray, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. And you know, as, as members of the church of God, that Jesus writes to the church in Revelation, and the, he gives the implications, like, you can listen to this or not. You can obey or disobey. And, and we are still in a place where we need to crave the Spirit's quickening in, our, in the eyes of our hearts, the ears. The, uh, and we, we say, open our ears, open our eyes, and give us enlightenment so that we can hear when you speak God. Because when God speaks, not everyone is able to hear. Now, I think most of you probably have, um, you know, a healthy suspicion of those who are always saying that God told them something. Well, God told me this, and then God spoke to me that, and God told me that. Um, because we've seen abuses of that, because we've seen people, you know, apparently, you know, God changes his mind a lot with those people. It's like, well, I thought God said this, but actually he said this other thing that's more convenient right now. And, you know, we can kind of get a bad taste in our mouths for that kind of spirituality. Um, but we also, we have to believe and cling to the promise of Jesus when he says, my sheep know my voice. And we have to believe that as we orient our lives towards a cross-centered Christianity, which is the subject matter of this chapter, it's the seed that's buried, it's following Christ to the cross, it's denying yourself, taking up your cross, hating your life in, in this world for the sake of the next. When you, when you orient your life towards a cross-centered Christianity, don't be surprised if you become more um, in tune with God's voice. You know, with the, the still small voice, the internal leading, or in this case, it was a great big thundering. He can use both ways. Um, and you know, th this is true. Uh, if, if, if you are... If you're orienting your life again towards a cross-centered Christianity, which, which is defined by extreme self-denial, love of God, and care for others, love of God and love of others, then what you'll notice is that you are more in tune with God's direction. And I'm not only talking about things like this, where God speaks from the heavens, or dreams and visions, or the still small voice, though God can speak through any of those things, I believe, but this is true for your Bible study. Okay, like I said before, you can read, you know, you can read through Ephesians, which I think is one of the most, you know, rich four pages in your Bible, and you can miss 99.9% .9 of it, because this is spiritual stuff that's spiritually discerned. But as you follow Christ in the way of the cross, then you start to see things in Scripture that you would have never been able to see had you only been looking for yourself. Um... I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but, you know, this uh, ignorance that these people have where they say, maybe it's thunder, maybe it's an angel or something. This ignorance shows up in different ways. Um, so how do, we, how do we hear so that we can believe? Well, Romans 10, 17, which I've already mentioned, says, you know, faith comes by hearing, um, and hearing by the word of God. So I would say become familiar with his voice. Read the scripture even when you don't understand it because you'll begin to develop an understanding of the vocabulary of God 
so that when it does show up, when your ears are ready to hear, you've already got the information there. That, that's good. To become dependent on his spirit, pray with, you know, all, all the saints of scripture that pray for enlightening of the eyes of the soul, for the ears to be opened, open the eyes of my heart, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things from your law. Um, you know, all, all of these things, keep praying these things, be dependent on his spirit. But ultimately where I want to show you, what I want to teach you, what I want to show you in this passage is that we have to become obedient to his word if we're going to be able to hear his voice. So become familiar with his voice, become dependent on his spirit, but then be obedient to his word. Now skip down to verse 35. We're going to go back to 30, but skip down to verse 35. Jesus said to them, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Verse 36, while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Now, John writes about this more in 1 John in his letters. 1 John 1, 5, he says, God is light. And 1 John 1, 7, he says, walk in the light. And you'll have fellowship with one another. In 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, he who loves his brother abides in the light. And generally speaking, in, in John's other writings and other apostles, walking in the light generally speaks of moral uprightness, excuse me, virtue, honesty, integrity. And we saw that in John already. You know, men loved darkness because their deeds were evil. The issue of light and darkness in John's perspective um, is just as much practical and, and moral as it is doctrinal. You know, it's not just darkness being ignorance, it's darkness being doing bad things, evil. Um, walking in the light is walking in the truth. It's walking uh, according to the teachings of Jesus. Moral uprightness, virtue, honesty, integrity. So Jesus' answer to these people who are ignorant, who are deaf, who say maybe it was just thunder, who are the people who are unable to see and hear God's hand and voice in the world that he is actively participating in, Jesus says you have to walk in the light. You have to walk in the light. And, and this response that Jesus gives them is... Uh, in response to a theological question, we can go back now and, and um, you know, verse 30, Jesus says, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Because they said, well, it's an angel that spoke to him. It's like, this is Jesus stuff. This is spiritual stuff. That's his stuff. He says, no, God is talking to you. God is talking to you right now. And he says, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So you have to be ready for this. The Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Judgment because the world is judged. Jesus, that time is coming. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. He says, and he, uh, this he said, signifying by what death he would die, being lifted up on the cross. Now, the people answer him. We're going we're gonna to look at this a little further, but you have to see their first response. The people who thought that it was just thunder and it wasn't really God talking... They said, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever, and how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They recognize that lifted up means dying. So they're like, well, how can, how, how, what do you mean the Son of Man is going to be crucified? What do you mean by that? We read the Bible, and the Bible says this. And the Bible does say that the, the, uh, the Christ, the Messiah, would reign on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. We've been talking about that in our midweek Bible study for a long time. And... Uh, 
So they bring up this theological question, this, this Bible question. And so they, they have this question about the Messiah and their scriptural understanding. They're saying, we don't understand. We have a, a Bible question, a theological question. Now, how many of you have Bible questions and theological questions? I would say many of you. If you've been reading your Bible, uh, which you should, then questions come up and you're going to see something and you're not going to understand it and you're, you're going to pray about it or you're going to call me about it and we'll, we'll talk this out. Um, but Jesus here doesn't answer the question. So don't be surprised if he doesn't answer yours. Because they come and say, what are you talking about? How is this all going to work? How is the Messiah going to live forever and also die? What's, what's going on here? And Christ's response essentially is, live rightly while you can. Repent of your sins. Walk in the light. I know you prefer darkness because your deeds are evil. Well, there's time to repent. There's time to cast off the darkness. The light has shined on you. There's time now. Today is the day of salvation. While you can, walk in the light. And again, light speaks here in, in John's writing of moral uprightness, of virtue, of honesty, of integrity. He says, live rightly while you can. And that's his answer to a theological discussion. Now, I have to ask you this because I asked you already, do you have questions? Do you have theological questions, you know, things you don't understand, doubts even? And you want to get to the bottom of it. You want to have light shine on that. You want to understand doctrine. Well, where do you believe, Christian, where do you believe divine, spiritual understanding comes from? Now, there's really three answers here, and only one of them's right. Uh, in Corinthians, in Corinthians uh, 1, 1 Corinthians 1, um, Paul writes, he says, Jews request a sign, Greeks seek wisdom. And even though we are largely a Gentile church, that dichotomy still exists. Because there, is, there are those who say, well, spiritual divine understanding, if I'm going to understand doctrine, or if I'm going to understand Jesus, then what that's going to come from is mostly spiritual experiences, signs. God is going to do something amazing, either something amazing that I see, or something amazing in my heart, just like, you know... Um, I mean, I, I got saved at a summer camp, you know, summer camp experiences. If you've ever been like to the retreat and campfires are just spiritual somehow, I don't know. And, and people think, well, I'm going to gain understanding, spiritual understanding from that mountaintop experience. And God is going to heal and God is going to speak to me and I'm going to have dreams and visions and there's miracles. And then I'm going to understand things. Okay, so that's one way. And Paul says, Jews request a sign. We read verse 37, it says, although he had done so many signs, they still did not believe him. So, I don't know if that's your best strategy. But he says, Greeks seek wisdom. Now, this is probably more, um, more familiar with most of you, especially if you've come out of, you know, Reformed circles, you know, where Protestant Christianity really, really focuses on Bible study, which I love. I mean, that's, that's my bread and butter right there. I love it. Greeks seek wisdom. And the idea, we still have this in the church. We're all, you know... We're not Greeks anymore, but we're Gentiles. Uh, and we, we think that understanding is going to come from Bible study, plain and simple. Just, just study harder. Just read more commentaries. Maybe, you know, brush up on your, on your New Testament Greek a little bit. Uh, study Hebrew. And, and if you just study hard enough, 
then you will understand. Now these are two lines of thinking, and, and you probably f lean towards one more than the other. But in 1 Corinthians 1, when Paul is saying, Jews request signs, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ and Him crucified. And you know what? That's, that's foolishness to the Greek. You don't study crucifixion. No. You take up your cross and you follow Christ. It's a stumbling block to the Jews because they're like, we wanted an experience of the feel-good, the mountaintop, the signs, the wonders. And you're talking about bleeding and death and crucifixion. That's not a mountaintop experience. That doesn't make me feel good. That uh, crucifixion, the, the self-denial of washing feet, the self-denial of carrying your cross up a hill, that is the opposite of the ultimate spiritual experience that signs and wonders offer. I don't want that. It's foolishness to the Greek. It's a stumbling block to the Jews, but that's what we preach. We preach, we preach Christ and Him crucified. And here's the thing. I ask the question, where do you believe divine understanding comes from? Where do you believe that spiritual understanding comes from? Here's where it comes from. Deep spiritual knowledge doesn't come from signs or from studying, although both have their place, but it comes from obedience. Full stop. Spiritual knowledge comes from obedience. The cross is about self-denial. Walking in the light is about integrity. It's about living according to the rule of Christ. Now, the early church fathers who, who studied harder than maybe anyone else in church history, um, you know, they, they had large sections of scripture, some of them, you know, most of them, in fact, entire books of scripture, memorized. Um, uh, some of the early church fathers had them memorized in multiple translations, multiple languages. Um, they studied really, really hard. And the early church fathers believed in miracles. They, they were okay with signs and wonders, for sure. But they also unanimously agreed. When you go and read the, the church fathers from the first centuries, they unanimously agreed that personal holiness was the key to theological understanding. Personal holiness was the key to theological understanding. Now, this should not come as a surprise to you because you worship a God who initially revealed himself to Israel through law. But, but now he reveals in, even, even more in the cross. Now, go back to verse 30 again. We're gonna re we already read these, but read 30 through 33. Jesus, speaking to these people who do not have understanding, he says, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. Now verse 32 there. He says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. That's, um, that's really a comfort. To, it's a comfort and a commission um, to everyone who handles holy things, to everyone who handles the gospel, to each one of us. This verse indicates that if crucifixion is preached, the nations will come. If, if crucifixion is preached, if Christ is lifted up, and if you declare Christ and Him crucified, not the signs, not the wisdom, but Christ and Him crucified, extreme self-denial. When that is preached, souls are saved. 
the um, it keeps my job simple, you know, <laughs> because we return to the cross. We have to return to the cross. And when Jesus says, you have the light a little while longer, you have time to repent. You still have time to repent. So do it. You Walk in the light. That means walk according to the principles, the precepts of Christ, which is extreme self-denial for the glory of God. If crucifixion is preached, the nations will come. It is the cross that is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now think of those who are asking the questions. They're saying, how can you say that the Son of Man, who is the Christ, will die? That doesn't make any sense at all. And instead of explaining, which Jesus could have done, and we do explain it in other passages, and other sermons, we explain why the Son of God ha had to die. But Christ's answer essentially is saying, walk in the light. You don't have business doing theological research right now when you're walking in unrepentance. You don't have any business doing that. You're seeking a sign or you're seeking wisdom and you, you think you're going to study your sanctification, study your way to sanctification, you know, or you're going to experience your way to holiness. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Walk in the light. He says, if, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw all peoples to myself. Lift it up, it'll be visible, the light through crucifixion. Um, it's the power of God for salvation and powerful enough to defeat the ruler of the world. Now, I want you to remember last week's sermon. If you didn't see it, go back and watch it. You are called to the cross. Now, of course, Jesus dies for our sins. We don't earn our way at all. We don't, we don't suffer our way to sanctification either. We don't deny ourselves all the way to Christ-likeness. He makes us like him. But you are called to the cross. And then the quote we shared last week from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And this, this is what you can expect, guys. Uh, we're, through the rest of the Gospel of John, we're getting closer and closer to the cross. This is what the sermons are going to be full of, okay? This is what our Sundays are going to be full of. Is we're looking towards the cross and seeing that that's where we're called. That's where we're called to. Take up your cross and follow him. But take heart. Because as we take up that cross, we're following an overcomer who makes us more than conquerors. He has overcome. So proclaim Christ and him crucified. And then live according to the cross, which is the emphatic emblem of obedience and self-denial. We see in those passages uh, at the end, quoted from Isaiah, and we see in the, 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 the lives of the people that Jesus talked to, and if we're honest, we see it in ourselves, in the mirror, we see it in our world. We, we have a tendency to blindness, um, but we also have the arrogance of thinking that, well, we can just work our way out of that. We can just study our way all, all the way. And, and what we see in this passage and, and others is that the way to walk in the light, or excuse me, the way to understanding, the way to, to behold the glory is the way of the cross. Extreme self-denial, walking in the light, moral uprightness, virtue, honesty, integrity. And we cast ourselves on the mercy of Christ, knowing um, that we're dependent on His Spirit to give us understanding of these things. 
but also knowing that our obedience opens the eyes of our hearts. That the, the more you walk away from what has been revealed to you, the less you're going to pick up from your Bible study or from, um, from your, your time with the Lord. Um, you know, your obedience delights the, the God who also delights to reveal himself to us. So we walk in the light. And Christ invites us now. He invites us to this place, to this light, to behold his glory. Um, and I, I guess I'll just end there and, and say that we should accept this invitation and walk in this light. Jesus, we, we want to understand. We want to see you in your glory like Isaiah did, like John says we did. he did. Um, and, and God, in, in seeing you, we want to become like you. Uh, in seeing you, we, we want to become more aware of our need for you so that we can run to you even faster next time we come to you. Lord, I, I ask that your church would be one that walks in the light and has fellowship with one another. God, I, I pray that you would work in our hearts this reality, this understanding that, um, that our, our faith and our, our knowledge of spiritual things is motion activated. And that as we walk in the truth, you grant us more truth. And we, we confess with, with Jacob from Genesis that we're, we're unworthy of the least of the mercy and the truth that you've shown your servant. We're unworthy. Um, but God, we come boldly, nonetheless. We come boldly, uh, hoping, expecting you to speak to your church. God, forgive us for our slowness. Um, forgive us for our, our, our arrogance. Forgive us for not obeying and then still expecting the rewards to come or the knowledge to come. Um, show us what we need to cast away so that we can walk in the truth, so we can walk in the light. We bless your name. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.